everyone, I'm Samela. Welcome to Menswear by a Woman podcast. My next guest I have is um, someone called Chris, who is a brand owner from Malox um, Knitwear, which is a premium British um, knitwear. And I'm going to get him on on board and have a chat about his knitwear, his brand and dyslexia and a few other things as well. So I'm just going to get Chris now and start. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, Samila. Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. How did it all begin with um, your knitwear company, Chris? Uh, as I understand that you're, you're from graphic designer and you're an art director. Why knitwear? So, uh, yes, yeah, so it's, a, I guess, a very long uh, route to get to my brand. So um, I studied as a design graphic designer. Right. So I went to sort of art and design college and university. Yeah. Uh, did that for a while, um, but um, as I guess many people and a few of your guests in the past have said, they've always had an interest in style or fashion. I've I've had that, and I guess as a designer in that perspective, uh, visuals is very you know strong for me. So um, I've sort of had that as a as a side interest. It, it grew and grew. I've you know worked in in fashion retail, shall we say. Um, and after university, when I was doing some freelance uh, design work, I actually ended up getting into um, writing for some blogs and magazines right. in the fashion uh, sphere. So that sort of got me closer into fashion, got closer to um, to brands and saw how things were made. I always had a fascination with, with construction, like, and fabrications. Right. Um, and then... And then uh, I ended up working, as you know, I actually co-founded a brand with a friend and that was probably the real deep dive into the fashion world. So uh, learning everything from uh, sampling, uh, production, sales, marketing, all sorts, um, utilizing obviously my, my design uh, skills. Right. Um, and then I, I learned loads from that. Uh, and then after that, ended up working with a few other fashion brands um, and no disrespect to them in any sort of way, but I started feeling um, me putting all my sort of efforts towards them. Yeah. Uh, I didn't feel I was getting much out of it apart from an experience. Um, but I had curiosity to sort of then have my own. That's sort of, you know, my thing. So I started my own brand and I was really contemplating where to start, what to do. Um, and this is actually still while I was working with another brand right? and they were very open for me to, to be able to do that. So I, in a way started small rather than doing a full look brand, otherwise it'd be too expensive. Right. Um, so I started with, um, with knitwear because I, I love knitwear. Yeah. Um, also it's in a way a more manageable thing, uh, to start with. And I, I had a real passion with, with manufacturing, actually. I, I, visit, I was lucky enough to visit many manufacturers, you know, as an editor, as, as working with other brands. Um, and I was thinking, do I want to work with European ones, like Italian factories or Portuguese or, or British? But I had yeah. a real passion to sort of work with British uh, suppliers and manufacturers and in a way champion, champion that and tell, tell their story as well. So I decided on keeping it all like British made and then it sort of, yeah, went from there. 
I mean, I my whole um, I actually quite like um, I love knitwear actually, especially in menswear. Uh, it's um, it's something that I would actually love to go into as well. Um, I don't know what it is. It's it's something about the whole idea of the colors and everything, and and it's also I, I think it's it's also making up the f- fabric. You know, um, because mm. the wool, um, the actual jumper, when you're actually knitting it, it's you are actually making up the fabric. With tailoring and all that stuff, you're actually choosing the fabric and then you're making something up. But with knitwear, you're actually got that freedom of whatever color you want it in, whatever shape you want it in. You know, that's what I find quite. That's probably why I would love to have done knitwear myself. What is it about? Yeah, it? I mean, I, on, sorry. I, well, I have to be—I have to be honest. Obviously, I, I haven't done any sort of uh, formal training in, in sort of knitwear design, um, yeah. and so I'm approaching it in a slightly different way, in more brand building. But exactly right. as you say, you have the freedom to choose yeah. the coloured yarn um, and uh, sort of the weight and how heavy gauge uh, you want to make it. Yeah. Um, and interesting to me, obviously, like I—I'm I'm approaching it in sort of a pragmatic way. Like, obviously, things need to sell. Yeah. But I will also have an have an expression. So, um, what in, what what let's say inspires me, and it's maybe um, sort of uh, inspired by the British countryside or sort of urban uh, set, you know, setting. So I, I sometimes mix different yarns, and actually that's been really really popular. So, you know, let's say taking a, a green and then a, a navy yarn. And then sort of uh, knitting that together, so you've got like an extra extra depth to yeah. uh, to the product, yeah. and people have really reacted well to that. Yeah, that's what I mean. So you you've got that freedom. That's what I mean. Um, you have that mm. freedom to do that. What is it that um, you know with the knitwear? It's all made in UK or in Scotland. Yes. Right. Um, is it um, manufactured? It is manufactured in Scotland. Is it? Yes. Yeah. So um, the yarn um, is is made in Yorkshire, actually. Like, um, okay. And then it goes up to Hoyk, which is um, sort of mecca for for knitwear manufacturing. It's yeah. got hundreds of years of, of heritage. Yeah. So then it's all all knitted there. I've been to Hoyk. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice place. <laughs> it's a very nice place. About them, some of the manufacturers are there. They've been there for a very, very long time, and some of the machines. Yeah, they it's have, it's, fasc- wow, it's, it's fascinating. a fascinating place because yeah. I think historically, you might have had maybe over a hundred uh, factories there, but now there's only a handful. So yeah, it's quite it's sad. A, it's it's sad how it's happened, but yeah. in a way, also, what I want to do is is not only just support them, but to to, to show their their um, their skills. Why did you go into knitwear? Um, I guess partly is an is an entrance point. Uh, like okay. I, I've always thought potentially the brand could could expand to to more products. Maybe not just a full look, but right. uh, it was for me it was a good good starting point. So obviously jumpers, uh, then accessories like hats and scarves, um, socks. So it's anything that's sort of like knitted. Um, but yeah, for me it's just an, sort of a nice entrance point, but and with the potential as a platform to grow. What's the hardest part about it? Um, selling your product. <laughs> uh, I think as a creative, it's it's um, 
it's really exciting. I, I, you know, I get super inspired when I'm sort of developing a product or a, a range. Uh, but then when you have the product, you have to sell it. And that can be sometimes more slightly harder, more challenging. Uh, yeah. Prospect, but um, I still enjoy it in a way, but it's just, you know, you then have to sell it to make sure that you then pay everything. But um, I, I mean, this one, one of the, the difficulties, there are many others, um, yeah. I guess, just, you know, it's just a, I'm a one man band in that respect. So it's making sure that I'm, I'm staying right. on top of everything. Okay. Um, yeah. Is it, is it hard just doing it all by yourself? Extremely uh, yes and no. Yes and okay. no. Uh, obviously, when you're your own, you're, you're own boss, you can sort of choose when and where to do things. Um, yeah. But you have to also be accountable and make sure that that you're doing it. Um, I'm sure many people can relate to that. But yeah, it's pros and cons. How do you go about finding um, doing the creative side of it? How do you you know with the jumpers and all that stuff? How do you um, kind of do the research in saying, oh, this is the color I want it to be in orange. This is how I want the shape to be. This is how I want the look to be. How, what's your creative yeah. mind on it? Um, my personal approach is yeah. is more. Um, I look historically, and um, so everything's inspired from more, let's say, historical um, background. Um, yeah. Like I look at a lot of um, like old Hollywood actors, uh, musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, I to appreciate their style. Mm-hmm. So and that can influence my my choice and where I want to go. So I don't Malox isn't a sort of trend led brand. Right. I'm also trying to do a product that is is relevant today as it was you know fifty odd years ago and and older. Right. Um, I want to have a timeless thing. So rather than you buy it uh, because it's let's say hot, so hot right now, you can keep it for you know year two years for you know as as long as you want that's that's a sort of the timeless quality that i want i want i want to have chris um i'm dyslexic and you're dyslexic as well and um mm. has dyslexia i mean has it ever put a point where it's questioned what you want to do and what you want to become Uh, yes and no. Um, it's it is it's it's a, it's a challenge that I face every every day. Actually, um, yeah. some some days worse than others. I think I was lucky enough to be, let's say, diagnosed or discovered earlier as dyslexia as mm. a dyslexic and and supported and helped and that actually has helped me a lot. So some people wouldn't even think that I'm dyslexic. Um, that doesn't sort of deviate from the fact that I am. Um, but let's say it's it's helped me in certain aspects. Um, what I've noticed through the dyslexia is it's sort of like a, a weight. Maybe you can relate to this. It's a weight that sort of gets heavier and heavier and you start doubting yourself more and more. Yeah. Um, and when that happens, then you sort of, you panic a bit and then you can't, let's say if you're, you're writing something. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've also learned that you also need confidence helps. So if you do if you do other things yeah. to sort of inspire yourself or gain confidence, then yeah. that can overspill into into your you know your everyday activities, which dyslexia might um, hinder you. But um, yeah, it's a challenge. I mean, I, I mentioned to your fair that I've I've also done writing and editing, and yeah. um, as much as I enjoyed my struggle, like I 
I can write, yeah. but it's it's writing down what you're thinking and expressing because yeah. I'm more of a visual person, yeah. shall we say? Yeah. Um, so making sure that that uh, that flows that was always always a challenge. So maybe someone who who's a natural writer they can they can write something in one go and it's great. I'll have maybe four or five versions and keep hashing it to make sure it it makes sense. Yeah. And um, all get fresh eyes to to you know. Yeah, of course. To, to edit that. My problem is. Um, Apparently, I think too fast <laughs> and my hand's too slow. Yeah. So um, I've always had that problem. So I, I, I could be thinking, um, uh, I'm sure you have the same thing. When you're dyslexic, you're thinking about a lot of things. Um, your mind just wanders off to something mm. else. Um, as I'm speaking, as I'm doing the podcast, I'm actually literally thinking about other things. And it's really, it's quite difficult. Well, I've learned how to deal with it. But it's right. just like you're constant, your mind is constant going on other subjects and other things. And um, apparently that's yeah. what dyslexia does. Also, my hand's too slow. And so when I'm writing something, I forget the words. I actually literally will forget the words. I will write it. And then when I read it back, it's like if somebody else reads it, it's, they, will, they will notice that, oh, you missed that, this and that. But if I read it back, right. you will not know that, you know, there's any mistake at all on it so it's um but it, i mean being dyslexic it's actually helped me a lot because i don't know about you i check a lot of things constantly checking constantly checking. oh yeah double checking triple checking, checking yeah, and sure. sometimes it drives me up the wall because i'm checking and checking and checking so much and i think i i think what there are there has been times where I haven't told people um, at work that I'm dyslexic because I know the way things would work because I've had experience when I did tell people I was dyslexic, I had people treating me totally different, um, that I wasn't incapable of doing stuff, um, I was incapable of, of working. I actually literally lost a job because of that because they thought I wasn't capable I was fully capable but they literally felt like they were worried and they were very concerned which they didn't have to be because there was nothing I did wrong you know if I did something wrong then yeah be concerned but there was nothing but it was their um it was just them they just feel felt insecure about it and like their misunderstanding of what dyslexia yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of like people a... do that, actually. I think a lot of people feel yeah. a very misunderstanding about dyslexia. They think, oh, if you're dyslexia, you can't read and write. That's not the case. Right. <laughs> that is not the case no, at all. Not at all. Because be a lot of people, yeah, yeah, you're incapable. And I think we are more, I think we check, people who are dyslexic, we check so much and we are so thorough about things because you know when you when you are you've lived with it all your life so you you learned how to deal with it but when you tell others and I've seen it I've had it a few times where um, I had an interview with this guy with this company and his wife was dyslexic and she looks after the accounts and all that stuff and when I said I was uh, at the interview he changed he literally changed within seconds so he started to ask me questions like, you know, um, how do you find it? Do you miss things? Blah, blah, blah. Do, is it a worry? You know, he was he was more feeling more insecure about me being dyslexic. And even though I said it at the interview, because he was mentioning about his wife being dyslexic, you know, I've got my wife looking after the accounts. She's dyslexic. So she yeah. does a pretty good job. And I said, oh, well, so am I. And that just changed 
the whole idea. And, I, and even till today, I think that's the reason why I never got the job because his attitude changed yeah, as soon as I said it. As soon as I said it, his attitude changed. Before that, he was fine. He was like, so that, go on. Uh, I was just saying that poses an interesting question is when, uh, if let's say someone who's a sexy is going for a job interview, uh, when to bring it up or if to bring it up or, um, yeah. you know, or do, you, do people feel uh, shy or embarrassed about it? Um you know, I don't it's, think it's I was um, or, or said as a disability, but it's not really. No, I'm. I don't think I. I don't think I. I don't think I'm ever shy about it. Um, and I. Yeah. But I feel like you have to be careful who you tell. Um, that you are because there's loads of people out there. Who think dyslexia is, that are people who are dyslexic, can't read and write. And right, but it's just to change their um, yeah their exactly yeah that's what we have to say to them. But I think um, you ha I had to I I hid it um, with a lot of companies that I worked for because I knew mm. they they weren't educated enough about it. And I think majority of the companies that I worked for, I never told them that I was. Um, I think um, now, well, I broadcasted it on the podcast that I am, so everybody knows that I am. Um, but it was um, before, even um, way before that, I would never tell anyone because I knew how people would see you. Do you think um, there are loads of people out there who are dyslexic? Loads of people out there. And I think, mm. do you think it's got better in people telling people that, look, I'm dyslexic? So, Ooh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, um, interestingly, there are quite a lot of dyslexics in the creative industry. Yeah, loads. But it's not exclusive to the creative industry. There are, you know, you can find mathematicians or scientists yeah. who are dyslexic. So, well, Einstein um, was. But interestingly, yeah, interestingly, in, in our world, should we say, there are, you know, and artists and designers I've met are dyslexic. Mm -hmm. um, it's It might not be fully understood yet. It's That's probably the... It, the, the understanding might be improving, but potentially at a um, industry level, if you're being hired, maybe the people who are hiring might not fully understand. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it goes back to what I just said about it being considered a disability. And yeah. because of that, that sometimes might have a negative connotation. Yeah. And the one who might be interviewing doesn't understand it. Yeah. Um, but I, like you said, if, if people then had, had tough experiences through their life, they yeah. might not, they might feel shy about sharing no i mean so my experience i actually uh so i, I did an art foundation and then i yeah, did same um at, so that was at camwell and then i did my design uh, course at goldsmiths so okay. quite respectable universities in their own yeah. right so that for me was a nice thing to prove to me and others um it was a challenge during during my times there but yeah um, obviously like you've experienced once it's done it's done and you can be proud of yourself yeah exactly i mean i i, I really enjoyed being at st martin's and um going to the mm. royal college as well to do my masters um going back to menswear um yeah. what is it what's the best part of menswear do you like community um okay. i guess when i started it was a, it was a very nice community and uh well it still is but it's it's grown and it's still growing which is great um like going to the first sort of uh london collections men years ago yeah and, you know meeting people 
uh, either you know for the first time physically or you've been following them um, and then you meet and it's just you know very nice and also very supportive of you know young brands and yeah. designers yeah and then seeing them grow over the years um, so yeah for me it's all it's community and uh, I've made many many good friends uh, through the industry uh, internationally as well as in the UK um, so yeah that's that's the best thing for me Who's your favourite menswear brand then at the moment? Uh, that is very tricky to say, and I don't <laughs> want to have favouritism. Um, but who would you say now? At the I sort of, well, interestingly, I, I would say I haven't really been focusing too much on others lately. Right. In the past, I probably had my eye cast on on many. Right. Um, I have, and also actually, probably this is it's going to sound favoritism because a few of them are, are my friends. Oh. Um, but I, I have been obviously following their their, their journey, you know, from right. from tough times, chatting at the pub, yeah. of our struggles, and seeing where yeah. they are now. Yeah. So, um, um, as a brand, uh, one of my favorite brands is uh, called Adret, and I know a few of your other okay. uh, guests have mentioned them. So that's with uh, Adam and Seto, and uh, I've seen them grow and grow, and they just have a really beautiful aesthetic um, and really high-quality products. What sort of products do they sell? Um, it's like a, if you want to call it a relaxed tailoring, um, but you're sort of, um, yes, Trousers, shirts, jackets, uh, outerwear, um, are things that you can wear in a timeless manner uh, okay. all year round. Right. Do you think um, menswear has changed a lot? Uh, yes and no. Um, it's changed in the way that there are many new brands coming out, which I think is amazing. So it mm -hmm. shows that even though people might be thinking it's it's hard to, to get in the industry. It's, you know, brands are still starting, which is amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, I, th I think, I think the support for new brands has improved. Yeah. When I was with my, when I co-founded the other brands, I felt that there wasn't much support or it was very limited. Um, what sort like for of example, we tried to get help from the, the British fashion council and that was, that was a struggle. <laughs> Did um, you get any help from the British fashion council? Experienced similar. But now there are there are other resources, and actually I, there are resources that I've used, and I've I've recommended to other brands that I've worked with, or I've consulted with, and they found it helpful. Um, you know, from all all manners of like starting up, so you know, helping with you know cash flow, uh, how to go to markets, uh, if you want to do wholesale. Yeah. Um, working with suppliers you know because if let's say you're a designer you might not know how to actually work with uh, a factory yeah. um, or who to choose or how to get your fabric you know because you're looking on just one one angle yeah. um so but yeah i think obviously i'm seeing it more from my perspective uh i'm sure others have different experiences and you could have look all the let's say the great talent coming through um, Graduate Fashion Week um, and they're, they're lots of great designers, but they might not actually know where they're going to go next, um, like or what sort of brands or if they go on their own. And yeah. it's very daunting to go on your own. I think there are very few who end up doing that. Um, or, you know, you might have to have, uh, in a way, luck, but at the same time, it's it's showcasing your, your ability that 
you know, you get championed by some stylists or by some magazines, and then you can grow from there. But even if you get propelled in that manner, you need support. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. That's improving, but it could improve a lot more. In um, in what way, though? Um, I guess maybe resources to be like people to know what's available, um, or uh, you know, because it's not just oh, I need X amount of money to help pay for a pro- for for a product, but maybe mentoring. Um, yeah. So, if you're starting out on your own, you you can get support on how to uh, yeah, where, what to go about doing things. Um, or more like apprenticeships if if there aren't any jobs but paid apprenticeships yeah. so you know not taking advantage of people um, but it becomes a valuable experience not only just getting the experience but you're able to pay bills do you think um do you think at the moment right with british fashion council do you think they are helping smaller brands uh, good question i don't know because i've not really been <laughs> doing anything with them lately so I, I don't know right okay um, I think they've obviously had to try and find their feet in many ways but yeah. um and like I say I've not really been following the fashion industry as as much as I used to but yeah. I think they you know they probably still have like the, the showrooms in Paris and stuff like that support you know promoting British um British brands but yeah. they they themselves probably need need more um like they are um, a sort of a body to to champion brands, but they might not have experience uh, or depth of experience on on how to sell or promote or have the relationships with international buyers. Yeah. You know, there's one thing potentially having uh, having a showroom yes. and a brand can be there, yes. but yeah. it's another thing to uh, to coordinate international buyers to to, yeah. to approach that and yeah. take them around the showroom and introduce you know to that's new what sale showrooms yeah. are, are for. Yeah, how would you? Um, if somebody wanted to start a brand now, right, a knitwear brand, what would yeah. you say to them at the moment, at this current situ- at the current situation we're in? I'm I'm all for people starting. I always am very supportive uh, and I encourage. And I think if you have the idea, that's the starting point. Yeah. <laughs> so um, <laughs> it's maybe just seeing if to do it now or if to do it later. But don't forget about it if you don't do it now, if that makes sense. Um, like I said, there are loads of resources. So there's even there's one called the UKFT, um, yeah. and they have they have one for young brands called UKFT Rise, and that's a good one to just uh, you know as a platform see you know uh, see what f- factories are around if you want a particular thing or connect with other starting brands um, or even connecting with with stylists and photographers because. Um, there's there's a lot to it if you want to want to start out and um, but no I, I'd always encourage doing it there's no there's um, there's no harm in starting but there's also there's also let's say um, you've got to be aware of limitations so don't put yourself in a situation where you burn out physically yeah. or financially yeah because it's it is very hard work hard but rewarding i think yeah um and it's not for everyone as well that's that's another thing it's not for everyone um sometimes it might mean it it might be better to to start something with others rather than just you're on your own true um but as you say it is rewarding 
because um, what you get out of it is um, it's amazing buzz. But when you see sales happening and people wearing your product, it's it's fantastic. It actually makes you feel amazing about it. Um, oh, completely. Like when when you start selling, it's a uh, yeah, it's, it's a nice buzz, feeling. isn't it? And I'm sure you know all young brands can relate to that. Exactly. So, what is um, for 2022, Chris? What have you got? Can you tell us what your next projects are going to be? What you're going to be doing with your brand? Are you like sure? To tell so, us? with Malox, yeah. Um, with Malox, I'm trying to expand to uh, a couple of uh, spring summer options because I've just been doing winter okay. for the past yeah. couple of years. Yeah. So, it's always been that it's a challenge because obviously there's that gap. Yeah. Um, winter is 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 anyway the, the core season for me, but you know I want to have something to bridge. So I'm right. actually uh, looking to do a few sort of summer pieces. Okay. Um, very few. It's not nothing big, but it's just like I say, something to, to bridge between the winter. Um, maybe maybe a couple of uh, collaborations for the future, but um, not sort of product collaborations, but uh, more partnerships. Okay. Um, but I don't know when that will happen, so I can't. I don't want to say, but I'm excited for that. Um, at the same time, I myself, I'm I'm still freelancing, so I'm still like doing a few consultancy as well as uh, design things. I still do my graphic design, um, and you know, we, we we touched on dyslexia. I want to do things with uh, with you know around dyslexia for for young people yeah. um, in the creative industry. I don't know what yet. But yeah. I want to explore that more. Yeah, you you mentioned that actually on the email, and and it sounds quite fascinating actually. Um, yeah, I'd like to actually a, get. A, I'd like I, to. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know yet. Yeah. I, I last year I actually tried to volunteer with a dyslexic group. Yeah. And I did that for a short while, but it wasn't um, it wasn't right for what I wanted to do or offer because they didn't have that set up. So it sort of made me think. Okay. If they haven't got it set up, how? Who else does, or does it need to be set up? So, yeah, it'd be something. Um, I'd be interested but I need time in that. And space. Let me know about that because I'd be interested in that as well. Mm, absolutely, yeah. yeah I'd be sure, very interested sure. in that because I think um, if it's not set up, then it'd be nice to, you know, get involved in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's. I mean, even just to to have the discussion, um, as you yeah. say, like to go hear from other people's experiences. But yeah. it'd be good to know how young people experience it now. Um, exactly. Uh, or to sort of empower empower companies to understand more about dyslexia, so that they're they're not as worried when it goes to the hiring process. Exactly, and that'd be quite interesting actually, because um, from experience that I've had, it'd be nice to actually talk about it and tell the industry and companies that, you know, fear not of dyslexia. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Or or even just small things like, you know, if uh, you or I end up just chatting with other young people who are um, dyslexic and they struggle, but it's to to hear stories of um, perseverance and success so that they can feel, you know, empowered to go for it rather than, uh, you know, their, struggles and doubts which yeah. we have been through yeah absolutely on that note um chris i would like to thank you for coming on menswear by woman podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for the invitation it's been an absolute pleasure and your products are absolutely lovely i've actually have been looking at your products and i'm, and I'm very into the orange jumper <laughs> 
Um, I like that orange yeah, jumper. It's one of the popular ones. Yeah, I can imagine that's that would be actually. And um, yeah, I would actually have a. Yeah, I love that orange jumper. Amazing products, Chris, and um, well done, and congratulations on the brand. And um, yeah, I hope Thanks. to see further more products from from the brand from yourselves as well. Definitely, definitely watch this space. <laughs> watch this space. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Mina. Really appreciate it.